Here's what's coming up in this episode of the Summit for Wellness podcast. I find, you know, when I look at literature, we have to be very careful being so isolated, separated, reductionistic. It's a lot like soft tissue. I mean, how many people have asked themselves, what is soft tissue? You know, I can't tell you how many times a person has come to me and tell me their hamstrings are tight. Or a, a patient will come in and say, it's my psoas that's tight. Muscles contract, they relax. They're moving fluids through the body. Think of a muscle contraction as a bio pump. It's pumping fluids through the body. This is where, you know, there's a famous saying way back when, this is like the 1400s, there's all but one disease and its name is stagnation. So this is where we're scared today because of the inactivity that we're seeing is, you know, basically we're not using our bio pumps. Like this is why you're in pain. Well, we know there's no such thing as pain fibers in the body. We know that pain is a construct that comes from the brain. An elastic recoil has a faster acceleration so your body is going from one position to the next. If that connective tissue is not healthy, then you're not gonna get that recoil. Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. We are on our 12th episode of the Summit for Wellness podcast, and today we will have a very special guest for you guys. Uh, he is one of my mentors. Um, he's actually the one that has kind of directed my path in the health industry and has been a really big influence on me. So he is a wealth of knowledge. Um, he has studied so many different modalities within the health industry that it's hard to even keep up with it and we'll go over his bio which is like 20 minutes long because he's done so many fascinating things in the health industry um so i'm really excited to bring him on for you guys and we will be talking all about soft tissue health and the uh the big importance of the soft tissue within the body and how we need to take really good care of the soft tissue and what I've found in my own practice is that a lot of people don't take care of their soft tissue. They don't take the time to stretch. They don't take the time to properly um, support and feed the soft tissue what it needs in order to be healthy. And in the long run, it starts to lead down, lead to a lot of tightening and a lot of stiffness and uh, just degeneration within the soft tissue complex. And so this is all stuff that we will be talking about uh, together. And we'll dive into a little tiny bit about different nutrients that you could use or uh, food that you can use to help support the soft tissue. And I'll have a link set up for you guys um, on the show notes that will have a 25% off option uh, for some of the food products that you can get from Thrive Market, um, which is already at 
really close to wholesale pricing if you get a Thrive Market membership. And with the link, you'll get 25% off of the order. So if you try the the uh, program that he was talking about to support the soft tissue, then the this will be a really good starter pack for you to help you in that program. And what we're going to do is for all subscribers that subscribe to our newsletter um, on our website at summitforwellness.com, you will automatically be entered into a raffle for a free starter pack of the uh, products for that health program. So if you go on to our website and sign up for our newsletter before May 25th, you will automatically be entered into the raffle and the winner will be uh, picked on May 26th. So go on to summitforwellness.com and sign up for the newsletter. So sit back and get ready for this wild ride that our guest today takes us on. He has so much information to share and it's really in-depth information that you might not pick up on the first time. And this could very well be an episode that you come back to a couple times and just take little snippets from. So let's get to the show. Today we have a very special guest to our show. He has helped guide me in my pursuit of creating a functional health practice, has pushed me to think out of the box and to integrate various health fields in order to provide every person who walks into the clinic with the best possible care they can receive. He is one of the few people I know who is constantly learning new modalities within his practice. And he has done so much in his 25 plus years in the health field that I need to give him the respect of reading his entire bio. So here it is. Lenny Parasino is a former author, hands-on instructor, and clinician for the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Currently, he serves as a faculty member of the Gray Institute of Applied Functional Science and operates a manual and movement therapy business. Lenny has recently authored seven manual therapy manuals, which are the Functional Soft Tissue Transformation Series, and the Gray Institute's uh, Certified Applied Functional Science Curriculum for Manual and Movement Practitioners of all levels. Lenny has spent over 25 years serving the health industry as an international lecturer, a manual and movement therapist, and Lenny has performed over 300 lectures and workshops and has written educational materials and consulted and lectured in the fitness and uh, therapy industry and for various medical organizations around the world. Lenny has earned his degree in health science, is a fellow of applied functional science, holds a California certification and license to practice soft tissue therapy, is a certified functional range conditioning practitioner, and holds a certification in nutritional therapy. He also continues his studies under the world-renowned physical therapists Dr. Gary Gray and Dr. David Tiberio. Lenny has worked with professional sports teams and players from the Phoenix Suns, LA Clippers, San Francisco Giants, Philadelphia 76ers, Philadelphia Phillies, Minnesota Twins, and our own Seattle Seahawks. And as a full-time practitioner, Lenny integrates an eclectic approach of manual and movement therapy with the intention of optimizing individual client function. Lenny, that is one hell of a resume. Well, thanks, Brian. I had no idea until you read it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> what is a certified functional range conditioning practitioner? I've never heard of that one. Uh, it's, actually, it's actually getting quite popular. Uh, there's an organization out there, Functional Anatomy Seminars, Dr. 
Andrea Spina and his group. They do really good work. Highly recommended. So uh, what is that exactly? Uh, well, they have various programs underneath that umbrella. Uh, functional range conditioning basically is another modality to assist people in achieving soft tissue health. So it looks specifically at each joint and then all the surrounding connective tissues and it's predominantly active. It's not a passive modality. So you're not just on the table like you typically would find in soft tissue treatments? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And that's a whole subject in itself because even the work that I do on the table rarely is solely passive. Yeah, maybe we'll go into that a little bit later on. Can you give us a little uh, background what brought you into the health industry 25-some years ago? Um, I think one word, selfish. You want to elaborate? Um, yeah, I mean, as a kid, I was always impressed with shape. I always loved anatomy. I loved movement. And I had this upbringing where we ate naturally, we moved a lot. I mean, I never was indoors, even in the wintertime. I grew up on the East Coast, even though now I live on the West Coast and have lived here on the West Coast uh, now over 25 years. But my mom always cooked really healthy foods. Uh, she always encouraged sports, encouraged movement. And my stepfather at the time was really into math, trigonometry, he's an engineer, got me into a chess club at a very young age. And I think that's what developed me thinking for myself and thinking in terms of process, you know, a series of actions directed towards a result and wanting to know the why behind what I was doing. That really summarizes it. And that's what led me into wanting to know, like, what are we doing when we do soft tissue work? If you grab a foam roll, if you exercise, like, what are we doing? And uh, I think that's how it all started, just being very curious. I always say I'm, I'm not a smart person, but I'm extremely curious. So trying to find the whys and trying to figure out how the whole puzzle goes together, that's what kind of led you to continuing to pursue all these different uh, educational realms that you have delved into. Yeah, and to this day, to this day, I find that if I'm not reading a book or taking a class or being very curious with each client, it's almost like my plant's not getting water. You know, my brain needs that. That's just a characteristic of myself. I love to learn. I think that's why I love the human organism so much. I think it's very common for us to confuse what is complex versus complicated. And I see this a lot in science. And we call this reductionistic. So when you look at what complex is versus complicated, they're profoundly different. There's nothing wrong with the reductionistic method. So long as you don't confuse the method with the way the world actually works such as the body. And a great example of this is an iPhone or a computer or an airplane. It's complicated, but with time, ingenuity, it can be perfected and then mass produced. The same every time. 
we humans have become experts in making what's complicated thanks to reductionistic reasoning and problem solving. But complexity is very different. A nation, for example, is complex. A city is complex. A human is complex. The complexity of a living system is distinguished by the ever-changing context that surrounds and affects it. And that's what really interests me. I find, you know, when I look at literature, we have to be very careful being so isolated, separated, reductionistic. It's a lot like soft tissue. I mean, how many people have asked themselves, what is soft tissue? You know, I can't tell you how many times a person has come to me and tell me their hamstrings are tight. Or a, a patient will come in and say, it's my psoas that's tight. I mean, how do you know it's your psoas and not the neurovascular bundle that's being overly congested by the dermal layer? I mean, we just don't know. And so it's the way we typically learn, if you think about it, professions, whether you're into osteopathy, chiropractic, physical therapy, kinesiology, we become reductionistic because of the way our departments work in school, in my opinion. But yet we're dealing with a whole human being. So, so it's a way of looking at it. Um, one of my pet peeves, I think, is people that are labeled. You know, they're labeled with a disc bulge or stenosis or I have a meniscal tear, you know, as opposed to my name is Susan and I have a sensation of knee pain and it seems like one of the itty-bitty structures called the meniscus has been disturbed. You know, we don't look at it that way, but that's the reality. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, when people get their diagnosis, a lot of times they let that define who they now are instead of, like you said, it's just a piece of their entire system. Let's just look at that piece and figure out what we can do with the entire system to correct it. Right, and that's really where my curiosity lies is what can we do with the whole human being to get them to thrive and live a more efficient lifestyle. Because efficiency becomes a key word. You know, when the human organism is efficient, it's healthy. And then when it's not efficient, then they can't do what they need to do. Yeah, it goes back to the unifying principle of energy, which is the concept central to all science. You know, when you look at somebody that's thriving and healthy, they have balanced energy. When you have somebody that is very sluggish all the time, the body's always compensating, it deals with that concept of energy, this capacity to do work. And just learning about that becomes very, very important. Knowing how to change your day, uh, make a decision whether I should work out or not work out, take a shorter walk. Um, de-stress a little bit. I mean, that's really important in today's day and age when we can stay up all night, we can go, 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 go because of technology. I just got back from a trip in Costa Rica. It's amazing. It's pitch dark at 5.30 at night, bright sunshine, 5.30 a.m. There's not much nightlife and it's one of the blue zones in the world where people live the longest and they're the happiest. 
And there's something to be said about that circadian rhythm of following nature. But the point is, in today's society, we can stay up all night. We can just go, 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 work, 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 work. A lot of people work from home now. They tend to work more. And this depletes that balance. Yeah, when I was down in Chile, it was a little bit different lifestyle where they would stay up a little bit later. Uh, but they also took the time in the mornings to sleep in. And they would mm -hmm. come back at lunchtime as a family and spend a few hours every day as a family, make lunch, sit down, and have more of that community feel and come back to each other. So it's kind of cool to see how different cultures are and how much different our culture is compared to them. But let's start taking a look at the soft tissue. So you mentioned people coming in that have um, tight hamstrings, per se. But if we're looking more at the soft tissue within the body, what exactly is a soft tissue? Yeah, that's a great question. Soft tissue is who we are. When you look at it in reality, as opposed to the way the definitions are stated in the medical text, uh, I will note, though, if I use the word fascia or connective tissue, the nomenclature is not universally agreed on. That's something that you'll see in the medical journals or the scientific journals. They're still working on a nomenclature that works with all professions. That's quite interesting. So if you said fascia to somebody that hasn't studied it in a while or pick up you go and pick up a Gray's Anatomy, it may say a chemically inert tissue, as opposed to what we now know about it. It's very much alive, and it's more than just a packaging material. Uh, this is very important, huge implications, because surgeons are starting to change procedure based on what we know about it today. So the way we define it is we're made up of a continuum of soft matter comprising tissue variations all designed around natural principles of biological structure. So it's an anatomical continuum. So when you touch yourself, you're touching soft matter. Now even the bone, some people will say, is soft matter because the raw material of tendon, ligament, fascia, you name it, is made up of the same raw material with different proportions. So that's the thing you have to walk away with. Bones, connect tissue, fascia, muscle, nerves, arteries are not separate tissues. They are specialties existing on a continuum with different densities and specific organizations. But like Dr. Vanderwall, who has a very interesting background, not only is he a medical doctor, he's an embryologist. I mean, the guy has like five PhDs. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but he crosses domains, so he's not just a medical doctor and an anatomist and embryologist. But he talks about tissues form and evolve together embryologically and throughout life as a continuum. And that's where stem cell research uh, looks very promising. So instead of breaking everything down into its part, as I said earlier, the reductionistic mindset, we look at it on a continuum. You can't, and I've done uh, quite a few dissections. Uh, earlier in my career, we did them, you know, your typical university where you have treated tissue. Now we have the opportunity, um, people that are interested, there's a laboratory in Arizona and one in Colorado, 
that does fresh tissue dissections. So there's no chemical treatment at all, which means the bodies can be moved during the dissection. And you want to talk about a difference. It's basically like an autopsy. And what you start to realize is in order to see something in the body, you must destroy something else. And it's very humbling when the professor says, okay, I want you to go find this structure. And you're looking at it going, how do I find that structure? What you do is you go to the book and use the book as the guide to find it. So what you start to realize is what we call a tendon and a ligament is something that we created as humans to navigate. It's more like geography. It's not the reality. Like you just mentioned Chile. I've never been to Chile. So I don't have the rich three-dimensional detail that you have. So we have, all of us, a soft tissue continuum. What we call a bone and what we call skin are, again, specialties within a continuum. So I think you mentioned it before um, when we've talked about those fresh, fresh dissections and how every time that you've gone in, basically the tissues that you pull away are... Uh, different portions of the body so it's not just a hamstring or whatever that we typically would find um, and one of the things I kind of took away from that was like when I went down to LA a few years ago and it's you're driving through LA and all of a sudden there's no difference between the cities but all of a sudden you're in a different city within um within California and it's like there's another city there's another city there's no fine line in between the cities they're all just kind of connected and I kind of uh, took that the same as what opening up a fresh body like that would be like when you're looking at the tissues is that kind of what it's like yeah I think that's a great analogy yeah it's great and you remember we're we're kind of hostage to technology so if you took an x-ray, a CAT scan, or an MRI of your knee, you would actually see three different pictures. Or how about a sophisticated, they're doing a lot of sophisticated ultrasound imaging with different resolutions, and they're able to see things that the MRI cannot see. So a lot of people that I talk to, they get real caught up on what the MRI shows. Although it's very static, it's not dynamic. And that's a whole story in itself. We're trying to take a static analysis and now hypothesize dynamics. You see how that mm -hmm. works? Like this is why you're in pain. Well, we know there's no such thing as pain fibers in the body. We know that pain is a construct that comes from the brain. It's not that the damage isn't being organized in the body and the message being sent, that, that happens. We have these sensors that send the information to the brain, but ultimately it's up to the brain to organize whether it's painful or not. But yet we'll go in, if it's knee pain, and we'll look at an MRI and say, well, that's why you're in pain. You can no longer with any justification in science say that with 100% accuracy. You know, that's been proven now. And so there's a shift for those who want to look it up today uh, compared to what's called the Cartesian model of pain. The Cartesian model of pain is old school. So a lot's changing right now with respect to pain science. 
And it's, it's fascinating because it deals with our soft tissue health. Obviously, aches and pains is a big thing. The etiology of myofascial pain is really unknown, um, but they're getting closer and closer to at least understanding a little bit about it and therefore hopefully giving people um, better solutions that are not drug-driven because we're seeing, you know, you can just turn on the news, we're seeing what opioids are doing and the various drugs to people. It's horrific. I think previously you also mentioned in those fresh dissections how uh, you never found what we would call a tight hamstring. So could you talk a little bit more about that and where that tightness would be coming from? Yeah, what I meant by that is mechanically, you know, you're not going to go through the different bodies and go, oh, wow, look at this one. This one's really short and this one's really long. You rarely, you don't see that. I mean, you'll see different architectures, but you're just not going to see big changes um, right to left in the same body and even body to body. And so that brings up the question is what is tight? Now, what is tightness? You know, because it's a real sensorial experience. You have to appreciate that when a person comes into me and they say, yeah, this is really tight. I mean, that's real. That's their sensation. And we have to respect that. In fact, we want to really expose, well, what do you mean by that? You know, do you have more descriptors? And, you know, usually clients self-assess perfectly. But now physiologically, what is that? And oftentimes what it is, is inadequate blood flow. And the tightness, you know, I might be out on a limb here, but you could say falls under the umbrella of pain, which is a sensation of a perceived threat. So if you think, and that's a def, simple definition of pain, a sensation of a perceived threat. So the brain is recognizing. So if I reach over, for example, and my hamstrings are tight, it's there to protect me. It's there to protect me. And we usually complain about that. Like, oh, I can't reach that far. My hamstrings are too tight. And if you keep forcing it, it gets louder. It's like the dog is barking louder and louder. Now, as a test, what you could do is say, okay, I'm not going to, stretch anything. What I'm going to do is just put heat on it. Just put heat on it. Go take a hot shower, hot bath, whatever, and retest it. Or a great example is you wake up in the morning and test, go right to the shower, spend some time in the shower, change the temperature, and almost 99% of the time you don't feel the same degree of tightness, and some people say I don't feel it at all. So it's not mechanically short and now all of a sudden it became mechanically long. Now, Here's the truth. We're not really stretching tissue. As much as we say we're going to do a stretch, and I know it's common terminology, but the truth is you're not unless you injure it. See, to stretch the tissue is to tear it. The collagenous fibers in the body are stronger than steel. And that's a histological fact. So what we're doing is we're putting tension into the body, and then we release that tension. And in that exchange comes physiological changes sometimes for the better, and then sometimes it can actually piss the area off. And I'm sure you'll have listeners that go, oh yeah, I remember, I stretched a little too much, and then it got pissed off. So that's an example. But there's, there's a temperature factor to this, inadequate blood flow. So basically what you're doing with the temperature is changing the viscosity. So as we mentioned to your question, you know, what is soft tissue? And I defined it for you as an anatomical continuum. However, let's not forget that 
humans are mostly what? Water. We're mostly fluid. Yeah, we're mostly fluid. So that is what's changing right now in science. What we believe is happening is there's a change in the fluid matrix, which now allows the collagen fibers to behave differently. And that would explain why you're tight. You get in the shower, temperature change, you put heat on it, however you want to do it, and you go, wow, it glides better. It's not as tight. So you've literally changed the viscosity. So think of it like honey now turned to water. That's what also explains if you sit for a long period of time and then you get up and you're tight. It's not that your hamstring mechanically got shorter all of a sudden. It doesn't work that way. It's behaving that way, but there's a difference. So this has been my quest and curiosity for a long time. Here's a great example. If you were to stand up and you were to touch your buttocks, because you're trying to understand its shape, and then you sit down on a chair, I think everyone would agree that your butt got wider because you're stretching it, you're compressing it. So because we're mostly fluid and fluid is the most malleable, flexible substance on earth, it has to move. It's non-compressible. So what happens when you sit down is you get wider. Okay, now let's just say you have a flight across the country, the five hour flight. When people get up off their chair, is their butt flat or does it go back into reshape? It goes back into reshape. So you stretched your buttocks for five hours and it didn't change shape. Then how can a 30, 60, 90 second stretch do it? It's impossible. Now here's what's interesting. If you measured your strength output before you got on that plane, your efficiency in changing direction, call it a squat, a lunge, walking upstairs, whatever it is, and then you compared it to immediately getting off the chair in five hours, you would notice that you're weaker. Almost 100% of the time. Maybe not in children, but definitely in the adult. You're weaker. Your legs aren't as strong. Now, I would say that would happen even not on an airplane because there is a, an altitude and a pressure differential change. We all know our feet can swell. So let's take the same analogy and say it's just a chair at school or at work. You're weaker. What this is, is a fluid phenomenon. And they're liking it to a sponge. And this becomes really practical in a second here. If you have a sponge full of fluid and you compress down on it, the fluid seeps out. If you keep that pressure on, that sponge is going to start to dry out more and more and more. So what we're saying is, it's okay to sit. It's okay to have your head forward when you're texting. It's the time. That's the key. It's the time. What you want to do is intermittent breaks. So if you're out going for a walk, it's a good idea to stop the walk and break it up. We can change angles in the same position or you can just change position, period. If you really want to give a rehydration to the tissue, just stop the walk, lie down for a second, lift your feet up. could be only, a, you know, 30, 60 seconds, maybe a couple minutes, depending on how you feel, and then resume your walk. So that's a great example. And think of the sponge. That's what we teach clients. Think of the sponge. We want that sponge to pump. We want to compress. We want to release. We want to compress. We want to release. It's like a breath cycle or a heartbeat. 
and all of our tissues, I mean, really, that's muscles, right? Muscles contract, they relax. They're moving fluids through the body. Think of a muscle contraction as a biopump. It's pumping fluids through the body. This is where, you know, there's a famous saying way back when. This is like the 1400s. There's all but one disease, and its name is stagnation. So this is where we're scared today because of the inactivity that we're seeing is, you know, basically we're not using our bio pumps and you're starting to see more and more tissue dysfunction. Because what happens when the acidity levels change in the fluid matrix? We have acidic sensory ion channels all over the body and uh, they now know that's what, like post-exercise soreness, they used to call it in school, delayed onset muscle soreness. And now they know it's not the muscle, it's actually the fascia or the connective tissue. And it has to do with hyaluronic acid. And so when those acidity levels change, this triggers the sensors, it goes to the brain, and the brain says, ouch. So here's a fact for you, it's kind of interesting. Isn't it true that any time you have an ache and a pain, it forces you to move? True. Isn't that true? Like in the middle of the night, oh, my shoulder. We complain about it, right? Like, oh, It'll keep you up all night. Ups. It brings attention. Yes. But what it does is it doesn't force you to meditate and melt into it. It forces you to fidget. That's the brain recognizing a deprivation of oxygen, blood flow, and it gets you to move. That's the key. And that's the one thing I, t I teach everyone. You know, it's like you have to move an injury. If a doctor tells you not to move it, most often it's the legal system talking, not the fact of the organism. Do you catch that? Yep. Yeah, it's called save your butt. Sue happy society. Yeah, I mean, that's just the way it is. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just, you know, me, I'm going to move it. And if you're not taking anything to muffle authenticity, you're going to move it in a way that's healthy that could be you know hobbling uh, I mean, what did we do a long time ago when we sprained an ankle we didn't die we sprained our knee we've been spraining our knee since our existence right we didn't die we hobbled around you had to to stay alive exactly and you know the pain was there to protect us that's the thing we don't like pain but man it is a protector so how does a sponge effect um, work into like the elastic recoil of tissues? Well, to have elastic recoil, which is the ultimate efficiency in movement. So when we watch sports and we go, whoa, did you see that? We see beautiful dancers. We see a beautiful walk. What we're seeing is what we call energy efficiency. And that's not a lot of muscle contraction. So if your muscles are always contracting and relaxing, we look very robotic. We lack fluidity. Fluidity is expressed as elastic recoil. So some people call it a transformation from one direction to the next. Now, in order to have that, you have to have what's called critical interfiber distance. So you have all these fibers in the body. Think of it like a harder substance, but in between the fibers, we have this fluid matrix. And if that fluid matrix is healthy, it's not thick like ketchup or honey, 
we now can execute and transfer loads efficiently. Yeah. And that's also what explains very powerful um, animals, for example. Uh, they've done research on kangaroos and yeah, antelopes. I mean, when you watch how powerful they are, they don't have big muscles. I mean, we wish we were a quarter of their speed. And we'd be in the Olympics. <laughs> you know what I mean? You and I, we'd be like, I'd love to be that fast. You know, and they don't have big muscles. So it's an elastic recoiling effect. Um, and when we move efficiently as humans, that's what you see. And what's great is right now, I just saw a study that was done on 70-year-old men. Healthy, okay, but 70 years old. And they were put on an elastic recoil program. So a jump program. And they compared it to men that were just doing your typical gym exercises, concentric, eccentric, you know, like calf raises, and they showed in 70-year-old men, elastic recoil efficiency improved. So the point is, at any age, you can improve your elastic recoil. So back to your original question, Lenny, why did you get in all this? I said selfish. So I'm almost 50 now, and I like to do martial arts, I like to surf, and in our martial arts, I mean, I get to do martial arts with 20-year-olds, and I feel great, you know, but I work hard at it. It's definitely harder in my 40s, um, and it'll be harder in my 50s than when I was 20. But my research is driven selfishly because I want to be as healthy, as vibrant as possible later in life to prove that you can do it. Now, I'm more flexible today at almost 50 and this is 100% truth, than when I was 25. I could not stand up and touch my toes. Could not. And now, I could, first thing in the morning, I could bounce up and down, no problem. Yeah, so it's a long way of saying, elastic recoil is what we're achieving. Now, to jump right into elastic recoil, if you don't have the prerequisites, is you know, escalating your potential for injury. So can you talk about how to start building up to the point where you utilize elastic recoil more uh, with someone or if someone's doing this, how they can start utilizing it in their daily efficiencies? Well, the first thing is you find a practitioner that only exposes what you're functionally capable of doing today, never imposes First and what do you foremost, mean by that? If I have a relative, yeah, great question. If I have a relative, I'd have them write those two words down. Did they impose or expose? Next time you go to a doctor, did they impose a diagnosis on you or did they expose who you are? Did they ask you about what do you do every day? See, once you tell me you walk up and down stairs and you walk a half mile with your husband or your wife, I already know where you're successful. So to answer your question, you have to build off of success. Because at some level, we're all doing elastic recoil. Walking is an elastic recoil. Now, if I immediately impose a longer length to the walk or a harder grade to the walk, I could then take a person that's very efficient and put them in a situation where they now have to compensate. Which is not always a bad thing, but it can put wear and tear on the body. So what you have to do is you have to base your programming off what the individual is already doing. And then from there, we look at what are the prerequisites of that function? Okay, so let's do an example of I like to walk. 
Walking is a great exercise. So we say, okay, what are the prerequisites to walk? Well, you have to have ankle motion, you have to have knee motion, you have to have hip motion. You want counter rotation in the pelvis to the rib cage. Now, do you have to have your hands go up over your head? No, not in walking you don't. So I'm not gonna test you in an overhead squat. You see what I mean? So if I go into a gym and someone says, well, I'm gonna test you and I'm gonna test you with an overhead squat, but the person never does an overhead squat, why would you test them? You're just testing a test. You're not testing the person as an individual. So that's what I mean by impose versus expose. I'm not going to impose the test on a person. I'm going to expose what they're doing, and then I'm going to say to myself, how can I test the prerequisites to that and then improve upon what they're already successful with? Because here's the key. Expanding what you already can control. That is the key. Makes sense. Well, it's a unifying principle. It's not a lineism. And the unifying principle is, there's really three that I anchor to. Energy, because it's the concept central all science, as I mentioned. The capacity to do work. Movement and adaptation. So those are the three, energy, movement, adaptation. Movement is essential to life. Is there anything in nature that stops moving, it dies. You know, in osteopathy, they used to call it the rule of the artery. You know, I mean, everything has to flow. Now, that's not to be confused with acute stagnation. You know, if we're sitting here talking on the phone, there's certain parts of my body that are chilling. We're still moving, though. We're talking about, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we are. Exactly. We're still moving at night as well. Um, but it doesn't take long, for example, to be in a bedridden state and certain tissues are not being stimulated to see atrophy. I mean, we've all had that. We've gotten really sick. And we're in bed for, you know, three, four, seven days. I mean, atrophy. And there's a reason for that. Because muscle is highly metabolically active. If the brain doesn't need it, what you don't use, you lose. Yeah. Okay, so once you um, evaluate someone in their potential and you can see what they do, what, where do you take them from there? What's some kind of techniques that you can use for the soft tissue? What's some different modalities that you can utilize? Okay, so I'm not a real big fan of being a master mechanical technician. I look at it more as a creative, humble facilitator. Mm -hmm. So here's how the answer, how I will answer your question, and that is you have to load them. Okay, so here's some facts. Injury, by definition, is a disruption of unity. So when you look at the fabric of the body, the soft matter of the body, there's a disruption of the unity. It's beautifully arranged. And now we have endoscopic research to prove this in the living. So even though I've done fresh tissue dissections, which is very different than treated dissections, they are now looking into the living body. You can go on YouTube and see some of the films. Strolling Under the Skin would be a title if you went to YouTube. Uh, skin scars and stiffness is another one that you might find on YouTube. Just quick clips. I have the whole movies and they're amazing. They take living bodies and they put a scope inside them. So there's this beautiful unity and when that's disturbed, it's considered an injury. Now here's what's interesting. Physically speaking, the only way to have a physical injury is when the load exceeds the tissue's capacity. 
That's why I answered your question the way I did before. What do you do with a person? Well, it depends on what they're doing. Because if I inflict a load that they're unaccustomed to, I'm imposing a load. But if they tell me they walk up and down stairs, I'm not imposing a load. I'm able to expose how they're handling the load that they already proved they can handle. You see, I'm just trying to make it more efficient. The more energy efficient we are, the better off we are. And we adapt in a positive manner. Does that make sense? So loading becomes the key. So here's a schematic that we use. We call it load management. An isometric load is a load where you produce, produce an internal tension against something external, but no visible movement takes place. So if you were to squeeze your fist right now and just hold it, hold it, hold it, there's no visible movement, just holding. That's isometric. Now, why we like this, there's a lot of physiological reasons. I won't go down the rabbit hole with that. But one of the main reasons why we like this is it really helps to change the fluid matrix. So if you're sitting here listening to this right now, you could try this. You sit up on your sit bones and just take your right arm, let it hang really relaxed by your side. Now use the big force generator called the trapezius, or just think of it regionally, the shoulder to the ear. And you squeeze up like you're hiking your shoulders and you squeeze. Get to the top there. Hold that tension isometrically. Squeeze it just like you're taking all the water out of a big sponge. Hold it, hold it for about a minute. Sometimes it cramps. Just depends on your ability to handle that contraction in that range. So if it's unaccustomed, sometimes that happens. It's not a big deal. And then slowly release it and let it hang down. And now compare that side, the right side, with the left side. And oftentimes what a person will feel is a much lighter side on the right now that they release that tension compared to held tension on the left. So one of the things for soft tissue health that we utilize a lot is isometric contractions because it creates a sensorial experience of what balanced, relaxed tension feels like versus holding tension. I'm going to argue, in my opinion, that people are holding tension all day chronically, and this is one of the reasons why their tissues hurt. You see, if you took your fist, for example, and you were to hold it, and you kept holding it and holding it, you're literally creating stagnation in there. So you start to put aberrant tension on these neurovascular structures, I mean all the structures, the whole continuum. And over time, that's not healthy. So you see this a lot with people's shoulders. That's why I like to use that example. Uh, you see it a lot in the abdomen. People that sit and have had back pain or pelvic floor pain, they're holding their pelvic floor. Or they're holding their groin. Their groin is squeezing, not super tight, but they're holding tension over time. They could be holding it the whole time they're on the freeway driving their car, for an example. So we use these isometric contractions for a lot of different reasons. Um, this is one, to change the hydrating aspect of the tissue. Then we progress to what's called isotonic, which a lot of people know is the concentric, the eccentric. It's a rhythmic contraction. It's slow, it's controlled, it's rhythmic. 
Then from there, and there's variables within each one of these categories, from there we use a heavier load with slow speed. Same thing, rhythmic contraction, before we go to a dominant of just eccentrics. So eccentrics are the lengthening phase. Then that leads us to what you mentioned earlier, and that is the, real, the elastic recoil. So what we want to do is we want the tissue capacity to increase with respect to load before we ask the body to recoil quickly with its mass. Remember, force is mass times acceleration. So an elastic recoil has a faster acceleration, so your body is going from one position to the next. If that connective tissue is not healthy, then you're not going to get that recoil. So following this load management logical progression allows us to, to really understand what a person's threshold is. And that's ultimately, we are looking, uh, every time we work with somebody, at where is the person's threshold and how can I expand that threshold. Because once you expand the movement threshold, you give people a greater movement capacity. And that's, that's really what life is about, to be able to do more as you get older. So when you're doing these movements, are you starting isolated and then working more globally to the entire body or do you start more globally and work isolated or does it matter yeah, that's a good question that is a question that i have to ask myself is and it is relative you know what's global for me might not be global for the next person mm -hmm. right so global and local is something that we're always bouncing back and forth um it's going to depend on why they came in to see me if you came into me next week and you said, Lenny, yeah, my body feels great. I'm just looking to expand my movement vocabulary for hiking. I would go global. If you walked in and said, Lenny, I have this hike coming up. So that is the global function, but my knee's been really bothering me. I would go more local. So the answer is it depends, but that's my, you know, my example of how I would go global with you versus local. Got it. See, if you come into me and you're like, my knee's really hurting and I really want to hike, you're either going to do one of two things. You're going to compensate really, really well and your system's going to clean it up on its own or you're going to end up with a greater injury. So then in a case like that for a hiker, do you test them with weight on their back so you can see you know, what is their body doing once it's loaded down with an external weight? Uh, depends on why you came in. If you came in and your knee hurts, I wouldn't have to. There's no sense of aggravating it. I want to know where the threshold is, and you pretty much will tell me that verbally. And then I'm going to say, okay, the prerequisites are, and then I test it from there. So I have a very specific way I assess every joint in the body. Mm -hmm. And when I say joint, a joint functionally speaking is a space. That's another thing with terminology we tend to get confused on, is people... In the same sentence, we'll talk about the hip and then the hamstrings and then the ligament. And it gets very confusing, even though it is a continuum, as we talked about. Um, a joint is a space. So once that space is called upon to move, all of the, con the connective tissues surrounding that area are going to be affected. So that's what I mean, is we have a very specific way that we assess. 
And uh, if our emphasis, even though it's always integrated, if our emphasis is the knee and the position is standing, and I know you're going to hit a lot of different angles, that's how I'm going to assess it. Got it. So earlier you mentioned that injuries happen when um, the soft tissue goes through some kind of movement that is more than the tissue can handle. Can you explain how something like that would work when you have let's say a professional football player that can go out on the field every single day and not get injured from hitting people, but then they're at their house and they bend down to pick up their kid's toy that's on the ground and they pull their back out or they tear something or they get injured in some way. Well, it's still the same physics. Um, There's a lot of ways to look at that. Number one, it may have been the viscosity of the tissue. For example, when they're at home, maybe they were sitting watching TV for a while or they just got out of bed. You know, we went through whatever, you know, seven, eight, nine hours of sleep. And uh, the tissue's viscosity is constantly changing. And that's why we feel different depending on what position we're in. Um, so that's one way to look at it. Um, but if it's a football player and I work with football players and they said, yeah, I just went to bend over to pick up something and my back, you know, started to hurt. The first question I have is, is this the first time or is this something that you've been dealing with on a chronic scale? Um, that's a big question because if it's the first time it's most likely a micro injury. And this is a really important take home. I see this all the time. We're seeing it in the news right now. I mean, Tiger Woods, the poor man, is on his fourth back surgery. Um, the coach, what happened with the coach for Golden State? I mean, it's just sad. It really is sad what's, what's happening with him. And here's in my line of, uh, you know, my colleagues and my line of work, what people are talking about is what we're doing is we're applying strategies, techniques, procedures that are designed for macro problems, but these problems are really micro. So we have these micro injuries on the body, but we're applying these invasive techniques as if it's a macroscopic injury. Like doctors are phenomenal when you get into an accident. You get into a car accident, man, there's no better place to be than here in the United States. But when I bend over and I hurt my back tying my shoe or picking up something, the, a lot of these injuries are micro injuries. Now here's what the research, I mean this is New England Journal of Medicine and many other publications. The research shows after the age of 20, they've even done studies, 20 year olds, 30 year olds, 40 year olds, 50, 60, there's progressive degeneration. There's progressive structural changes. So if you took 10 of your friends, 9 out of 10 of them are going to have disc bulges, stenosis, osteophytic formation. So what they're calling that is wrinkles on the inside. So we can no longer, with any strong justification, say that's exactly why you're in pain. We just don't know. It's also something that you shouldn't just throw away. It's a piece to a very complex puzzle. And so there's a lot of ways to look at it. The most important thing that I look at is it is their sensorial experience. I need to respect that first and foremost. I need to know where their threshold is today, and I need to load it immediately. That is the strategy. 
you know, out of all the time I've spent studying pain and neuroscience of pain and all the classes that are now available to all of us, and, you know, you can get really stuck in the rabbit hole with a lot of this stuff, it comes down to this. Pain is a sensation that must be respected per individual. From a practical standpoint, the way you deal with it is twofold. Remove the sensitizing agents. The things that you know are pissing it off, you remove them. Okay? You have a pebble in your shoe and it's hurting, you take the pebble out. So you have to figure that out. It's not always easy, but that here's the solution. And then the second thing is you have to build up your tolerance. You have to build that tolerance up. And there's no better way, and the recommended way in science is you build it up with load. Because pain, especially if it's chronic, whether it be chronic back pain, doesn't matter where it is, is an over-sensitized system. The system is overly sensitive. And that's where drugs can be very scary because they can muffle the authentic expression. And, you know, short term, great, but then you become overly sensitized. And that's a, that's a person that, you know, it's tough. It's not easy. So that's an interesting question. If someone is just got injured, they went to the doctor and they got some pain meds and then they came to see you who's going to look at the soft tissue and try to figure out how to help this individual, do the meds get in the way of their healing process and what you're trying to do? Yeah, but then, you know, you, you, you got to be careful stepping over your boundaries. Uh, before you come to see me, you have to fill out paperwork mm -hmm. and... Most people are, you know, true with what they're taking. And if not, you know, I'll ask them, is there anything that I need to know that you're taking that could alter your sensorial experience? And they'll tell me. Um, I mean, we're having in California here, I swear, six out of ten people are coming in with medical marijuana. You know what I mean? So I'm asking these questions all the time. Are they on some type of, you know, NSAID? What I will do from an educational perspective sometimes is hand them research. This is something I like you to read on your own, something to think about. Here's what's neat about what we do for a living. And this is where I help soft tissue therapists, massage therapists, manual therapists, whatever, is movement is your key. It's an expression. It's a universal language. It's universal across the board, no matter where I go in the world. You know, I was just in Costa Rica and I don't speak Spanish right now. I want to learn it because I want to go back there. And sometimes it's very hard to communicate with the locals, but what's cool is we all walk, we all reach, we all bend down. And so that movement is going to express itself at some level. Now, is it expressed in a different manner because of the drugs? Could be, absolutely, 100%. Um, but a lot of times you'll catch things, especially if you know how to assess it. You'll catch, uh, it might not be painful, but it'll be weak. Right? So if you're on one leg and I notice you're able to function through an elastic recoil of, you know, your ankle joint, your knee joint, and your hip joint on your right leg, but you can't do that on your left side, and your left side was the symptomatic side, you don't feel any pain, but you're extremely weak, that tells me something. So I can still find a threshold on a person with pretty good accuracy. So I don't, my point is I don't just go to the table and do passive work. Because then we're just dealing with the only thing we can really palpate for. Let's be honest, manual therapists, if you're listening to this, what are we really palpating for? The only thing we can really palpate 
is texture and tension. That's it. People try to say, oh, this is a knot and this is this. These are all just made up terms. The only thing you can really touch on a person and evaluate with your hands is texture and tension. And so, um, and then the person expresses what they feel. I can't feel pain. I can just feel texture and tension. And I always say that to people. I say, we're going to work together on this. This is going to become a unity between you and I. I would like you to express your sensorial experience. And what I'm measuring is the texture and the tension. Um, but if I only did that, I wouldn't get as much as if I looked at the movement. The movement is that main expression. So I always begin with movement and I always end with movement. And so do you have hands on while they're moving so you can feel the texture and tension throughout the different movements? Yes, we use what's called micro movements when we do our treatment. Um, so there is some passive work because it does give you a certain perspective. And um, the ultimate goal with our type of work is to improve the gliding within. We call it relative tissue motion. So all fibers, and we can use muscles from a geographic perspective. Muscles are not supposed to be glued together and move as one big clump. They have independent characteristics, yet they function interdependently. And so our goal is to create that relative tissue motion or what some experts call a glide, a relative glide. And you can feel that. Can you give um, some other ideas other than just movement on how to keep your soft tissue healthy? Like is there a specific nutri uh, nutrients that you need or um, anything along those lines other than water? Um, well, one of the things I would say and, and what we hope the future brings, and it's starting to happen, we're starting to see recovery centers and a lot of the facilities here in California. I think the older athletes out there that are still competing against 20 year olds like Tom Brady and Kelly Slater are starting to bring notice. It just so happens, you know, marketing, right? You know, Michael Jordan wears Hanes. I guess we, we're supposed to wear Hanes. You know how marketing works. So we're starting to see that in the soft tissue world. Um, one of my proofs to this is we were the organization, I believe, National Academy of Sports Medicine 20 years ago that people looked at. We were crazy on a foam roller. We were crazy. Like, what are you guys doing on that? You guys are crazy rolling around. And Dr. Michael Clark, you know, he studied abroad and he brought that to the table. And I'm like, it's great. He didn't care what people thought. And now you go on Amazon and punch in foam roller. There's like 200 companies. And everybody's got a ball and everybody's got their device and you can buy it at Target now. You know what I mean? So what we hope to happen in the future is we look at this like our dental health. So we brush every day. Hopefully you floss every day and hopefully it's multiple times a day. And then you're going to have to go to the dentist because they can do things that you can't do on your own. That's how I teach my clients. So one of the things I ask my clients to do is use a foam roller, but you don't roll up and down the body. You let that pressure sink into the tissue and you move very slowly, maybe an inch a minute, maybe even longer. If you feel your body's retracting from the roller, then it's too much. 
So what you have to do is maybe put a towel or change your position or put two rollers down, things like that. You have to modify it. But we help people with that because you want to melt into the tissue and you literally want to rinse the connective tissue. And that's one of the main researchers out of Ulm University in Germany, Dr. Robert Schleip. He says, wow, this is rinsing the tissue. Now, one of the companies that I love, they're getting really popular out there, is Hyperice. You go to hyperice.com and they sell rollers with vibration in them. They're absolutely worth every penny. They make rollers, they make a ball, and they have a vibration. And all you do is you get on it and you hit go and it does all the work for you. I mean, I use mine every day. They also have a device called Venom, which is a heat vibrating device that is battery operated. So you don't have a long cord that goes around your back. And they're about to come out with wraps that go throughout the whole body. So a guy like you that's a mountaineer and you're out in the wilderness, you know, I mean, you could charge this thing up. It's pretty cool. And you can have therapy while you're moving. So you could wrap the compression device on. You got vibration, heat, and you're moving. And you that's can't really neat. It. So those are some of the mechanical ways to answer your question. From a chemistry end, yeah. I mean, if I have to give people advice, the first question I have for them is, how serious are you? And they go, I'm super serious. I go, are you willing to dedicate 30 days of your life? Yes. I'm sick of being in pain. I'm sick of being unhealthy and stiff all the time. Then buy the whole 30 book and follow it to a T. Follow it to a T. Eat natural foods, the whole 30, that's all it is, and tell me what happens. And man, I'll tell you, 80% of the time, people are like, I cannot believe it. I'm not stiff anymore. I can do the same exercise classes. I have a bunch of energy. I had no idea that little inflammatory, you know, or that little histamine release I had in the morning was because of food. I had no idea. But you got to give it 30 days, right? And then as the program states is you take those foods that are considered, we'll say, healthy, and you put them in one by one to see how your body reacts. See, I love that kind of authentic testing. What's the other way to do it? Go get a blood panel done. And now somebody's going to tell you what you should stay away from. I'm not saying that's the wrong way. I've done enough blood work on myself. It definitely is part of the picture. But there's no better way to do it than test it yourself. Um, and man, what a difference. I mean, I know Brandy and I did it. And you know my background in nutrition. She comes from Pepperdine University with a nutrition degree. She's been studying it way deeper than I've ever studied it. And she's like, man, I thought we were eating really good. She did the whole 30. She's just tightened up on everything. Not one piece of fake food beverage came into her system. And now she's teaching the same exact classes. She's 48 years old. And she's like, I'm not stiff anymore. I can't believe it. So it's all these low-level things that are happening to our body. When I say low level, it means they're not pathological. You know, they're not going to show up at the doctor's office. Just like the micro injuries. If you have densification, which is different than fibrosis, fibrosis by definition is an obliteration of the architecture. So sometimes, depending on how mature it is, they can see that on scan. Sometimes, not all the time. And I know that because I work with uh, one of my clients is a radiologist. Harvard trained radiologist and he's taught me a lot about what you can and cannot see. 
But densification, which is a real term in the medical uh, field, is an increase in viscosity. You can't see that, but we know it happens, so it's micro. And what they are saying is nutrition plays a big role in that viscosity, and it has to do more with the pH changes. Now, there is research on that with respect to diabetics, type 1 diabetics, and how the nerve actually thickens. And a lot of people know that uh, as diabetic neuropathy. Um, so when you look at hyaluronic acid, it's a sugar protein. Yeah, so it's part of the extracellular matrix, and it's a sugar protein. And so um, we know that sugars play a big role. So what happens, Brian, you know this, right? What happens when a person has a lot of sugar in their diet? It creates what? Acidity. acidity. Yeah, acidity, right? It creates a lot of acidity. And it literally changed the connective tissue and its behavior. Yep. So are they seeing this in type 2 diabetics as well? Now, the research that Dr. David Butler posted a while back, he's a specialist in pain education, he talked about... Um, he calls it nerve juice, and movement is critical to keep the nerve juice flowing because it's, by property, it's thixotropic, which uh, thixotropic properties are like ketchup and honey, and uh, the research was done on, again, the diabetic nerve and how it becomes very sluggish, and so movement is, you know, one of the mechanical things you can do heat, vibration, all that's been studied and it works really well. However, like you pointed out, and a lot of people don't point this out in manual therapy, for example, is how important nutrition is. So I hate to say this, but, you know, I was just had the fortunate opportunity to work with some NBA players and they gave me some tickets to the game. So I went to the game, 76ers and the Clippers, and I'm sitting there and I'm just looking at everybody eating. And I looked at the menu and what is it? It's beer potato chips, um, popcorn. It's all the stuff that you and I both know creates an inflammatory reaction in the body. And you'll see this a lot. You know, you're going to see people that have like puffy cheeks. Um, they might even have lean legs and lean arms, but the trunkal fat's there. And a lot of, you know, guys my age, they go, oh, I'm 40, that's why. And, you know, it's the nutrition over time, that's why. The sad part is we're starting to see this with the young kids. Um, I see it because my son plays basketball, and here are active kids because they're playing sports. And I would say on any given Sunday when he plays, I would say 80% of the kids are chunky. And unfortunately, I'm out on the limb, so take it or leave it. It's not the kid's fault. It's the parents. Or it's the lack of our you know, universal education. Um, Gatorade is not healthy for you. And if someone wants to argue that, I'll gladly argue it. You know, and I always say to people, if you think it's healthy, can you explain every ingredient in Gatorade and explain to me how that's going to help the organism thrive? I mean, come on, man. It's garbage. But see, it's marketed as the sport drink. So we go to Costco and we buy a bunch of Gatorade. Now, what do kids do in sports is one parent is always asked to bring snacks after the game. And you look at the snacks. And it's pure sugar and crappy fats. And, you know, it's sad, but it's true. And I'm not a downer. I'm not trying to be Lenny Downer here, but it's the fact. And we have to change this. 
And that's one of the, you know, the selfish things I said earlier is, you know, I want to be a man in my 50s and 60s that is lean, flexible, healthy, and I can run around with kids, you know, to show to them, you know, lead by example, show them that, you know, this can be done if you have a little bit of dedication to wanting to be healthy. I coach a lot of uh, wrestling to the various schools around my area, and I've noticed the same situation going on as about 75-80% of the kids are chunky, and it's it's a lot different than I remember growing up. Oh, when I was growing up, the only time you saw a chunky kid was in a metabolic disorder. You know, it was really rare, very rare. Now it's too common. Way too common. It's sad. So we are almost out of time. Um, if you got stuck in an elevator with someone and you had 30 seconds to teach them about soft tissue, what would you want to teach them in that 30 seconds? Um, motion is lotion. <laughs> just move your body. I mean, seriously. Don't follow a protocol. Just move your body. Awesome. I mean, Sweet and simple. I can't say it any simpler than that, man. You have to move the body. Um, I mean, I was sitting here for an hour with you, and I'm moving my knees. I move my back. You know, I sit on what's called a Dyna disc or a sit disc. Mm -hmm. So you can buy one on Amazon for like 30 bucks. I'm always moving my pelvis. My back never sits still. Some lady on the airplane on the way to Costa Rica, she's like, what's that on your back? I brought... It's kind of like taking a tennis ball, putting it in a sock, tying a knot, and then put a tennis ball in the sock mm -hmm. and tie a knot. So you have like two, two balls kind of strung together where there's this device. You can do that as well. But I, I put it on my back and I roll up and down my back five hours on the flight unless I fall asleep. You know, And I move the pressure. I move the balls around. So it puts, again, the sponge analogy. So that's a way we call that passive movement. You know, Even though actively I can move it up and down, but if I want to rest a little bit and just press into it, we call that passive movement. So, yeah, you just have to keep the tissues moving. They're meant to move. How well do you feel coming off of the airplane when you do that? Because I know when I fly, oh, night and day, completely different. Night and day difference. Yeah, night and day difference. Okay, Lenny, where can people find you on the internet? Um. Well, you know, I do. I post strictly education, not family pictures or anything mm -hmm. like that. Um, I have an Instagram account, Facebook, and, and Twitter. <clears throat> My Instagram is soft underscore tissue underscore therapy. And then Facebook is soft tissue integration. Soft tissue integration. And then my Twitter is at FXN therapy. So function therapy. So at FX. And therapy. So yeah, oftentimes I'll post um, just tidbits that I find to help people become more aware um, of our bodies and movement and soft tissue health. Um, it's directed, I would say, you know, 80% is directed towards the professional, but uh, a lot of my clients follow it and there's always something, you know, you can glean from it, I'm sure. Now I have all those uh, links in the show notes so that people can uh, find you on all those social media platforms. You also have a website. It's softtissueintegration.com, correct? Yeah, softtissueintegration.com. It correct. seems like you change your website name every year. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> we moved to, uh, I was over at AIM Sports Medicine for a while, and we moved to our own office, my wife and I, and uh, so, yeah. Well, thank you, Lenny, for coming on. This was definitely a treat for everybody, including myself. You have so much knowledge, I could pick your brain for hours, but I think you would get tired of me. So um, thanks for coming on. We would love to have you again sometime in the future. Oh, my pleasure, Brian. And uh, I always love looking at your Instagram, jealous. You're out and about in wilderness and nature. And I like the same thing, but I tend to be more ocean and warmer climate. <laughs> I was just in the jungle. So no, I, I really appreciate you taking the time and inviting me on and any little piece that I can share to help people function and feel comfortable in their own skin, I'm always happy to do. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the climate because it was 70 here last week and I, I was melting. It was way past my threshold. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I'm That's used to fine. the snow. Okay, if you want to find out more about Lenny Parasino, go to softtissueintegration.com. Uh, all his social channels are also on the show notes, so you can follow him on Facebook, um, Instagram, or Twitter. Don't you also have a YouTube channel, Lenny? Yeah, I haven't posted on there in a long time. Um, but yeah, there's one on there with some different exercises and things like that. Well, you can take a look at some of the videos that Lenny has on the YouTube channel as well. If you enjoyed this episode of the Summit for Wellness podcast, please go and subscribe on whatever podcast app that you are listening to. And if you are listening on iTunes, please give us a rating and a review so that other people can find the show. And we will see everybody next time.